Good morning. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. It is Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. If you have your Bible, it'll be probably be on your screens as well. Let's please read with me. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foul, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus! From Nazareth of Galilee, the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks be to God. And so, uh, one of my favorite things is uh, reading old stories. When I was a little kid, I used to enjoy the, the stories of Hans Christian Andersen, and he tells of a particular story of a king that loved new things. He loved the attention he would get, especially with the clothes that he was wearing. So one day, two weavers, new weavers, come to him and talk about the most fabulous clothes that they could ever provide for a king. It was made of a new material that was uh, enchanted, and it was magic. And the thing was that you couldn't see it if you were stupid or if you were terrible at your job. And so it would be invisible to you. And so the king, when he first saw the weavers doing the work, he sees it, he sees them working with nothing, what appears to be nothing, but he didn't want to appear stupid or bad at his job. So he says, oh, it's magnificent. It's wonderful. And so he puts on these clothes and then parades around the city. And everybody is afraid that if they say something, they would look stupid or appear bad at their job. So they don't say anything. And there he is parading around naked. Of course, there is creative placement in children's books. So if it's illustrated, it's really creative. But the the king is parading around and a, kid, a little kid speaks up and he says, well, he's wearing nothing at all. And everybody realizes it's true. He really is only wearing nothing at all. But the king, in order to cover himself, just keeps parading through as if nothing was happening. And I think one of the things that strikes us today, especially during this time of coronavirus, is that all the kings of our life have been exposed as wearing nothing at all. And oftentimes we are afraid to look stupid or bad at our jobs to actually say anything about it. We're too busy trying to save face face rather than admitting that we have need. 
And so it is revealed that our kings are wearing no clothing at all. They're exposed as weak and shameful now. Technology, you know, we think about technology is going to save us. All our globalism is going to save us. All our communication, all our social media is going to save us. But what does it do? It just makes us anxious looking at everything that's going bad in the world. All the information in the world is driving us crazy. You know, and we, we think about, oh, we, you know, all this technology, all this travel, that's how the virus spread around the world. It's amazing how sometimes our kings like technology can betray us at a drop of a hat. It is awful for us at times. They're good things, no doubt. And this could be our job. Some of us are sitting at home trying to figure out how to do work. Some of us lost our jobs, our relationships how close we are with other people, our cool cars, our theological knowledge, all of that has been exposed as naked. It can't save you. It can't do what it promises to do. And when Jesus shows up in the scene here in what is known as the triumphal entry, he is, Jesus is exposing everybody else's kings, everybody, everything that the world values, everything that Israel would have valued at the time. See, they have cultural expectations and they have desires for who Jesus is going to be. They are at the time besieged and under the power of the Romans and they're hoping, oh man, I really hope that, that some, someone would come and save us. A Messiah would come and save us and rescue us out of this. And so they have expectations and hope. Jesus shows up and he does things that are completely counter to what they are expecting. And it brings us to our story. You see, in the book of Matthew, his concern from beginning to end is showing that Jesus is the true king of David. The one who follows in his line. The one who is a, uh, a man after God's own heart par excellence because he is God himself in the flesh. And we see this from the beginning to the end of the book of Matthew. We see it from the genealogies all the way through the Great Commission. We see this through his all, all uh, just kind of always using prophecy to back up what he is saying, that this Messiah is the King of David, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, which is good news for us, and it means that you are not the Christ, and you don't have to save yourself. And at times, we are probably getting really good, solid reminders of that this week. A large part of Matthew's gospel, though, demonstrates that people's messianic expectation was twisted. They wanted a Messiah that they could puppeteer and use for their own ends rather than a king, a sovereign king. And so what do we need to look at today? And Jesus can't possibly, is, is, is the king, so this is it. Jesus is the king we need. He's not necessarily the king we want. So first, let us look at the kings we want, the kings we want. As the modern philosopher poet Bob Dylan says, everybody's got to serve somebody. The coming king during this time uh, would have to have great expectations. They would think that he was going to rescue them from the Romans. Hence why in verse 9, they are shouting Hosanna, which means, oh, save 
to the son of David. And so they know that the son of David would be the true messianic leader. Blessed is he who comes in the name or the reputation of the Lord is what they are shouting. Oh, save in the highest to the uttermost. Let this be true of us. And he entered Jerusalem, which is the city of the king. And so everybody is like, this is it. Those Romans are about to get what is due to them, and we are about to be free. We're about to be liberated. This is everything we've ever wanted. And so this comes, though, these expectations are very similar to what we see in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, we see the nation clamoring and craving for a king. And why did they choose Saul as their king? It is because they saw him and he was at least a head taller than everybody else, the narrative says. And he was strong and he was big, but he did not have a heart. He did not love the things that God loved. And so the same thing happens here. The people are clamoring for a king, and we are all clamoring for a king. And so the kings we want, we usually choose kings. The kings we want are usually according to the values of the world and also one that is controllable, according to the values of the world and ones that are controllable. We live, we eat, we breathe what is known as kind of the, the uh, spirit of the age or the culture, some people say. And so these values of the world, it's our wants, desires, and expectations, but they are shaped by the wants, desires, and what is the default mode of our culture. So some of us, we want freedom. We want to be absolutely free. We want to be autonomous in whatever we do. We don't want anyone possibly telling us what to do. We want the freedom to express ourselves the way that we want. We want to love whom we want to love. We, want to, uh, we don't want anyone to tell us otherwise. We want to be able to have uh, really the freedom to go anywhere we want. Hence why social distancing and physical isolation is so crazy and difficult on people because people People are telling you what to do, and hence, hence is causing this ridiculous angst in our hearts. The other thing, one of the great values that we have in our world is high performance. We want a king that is going to do X, Y, Z. He's going to be type A. He's going to do everything perfectly in the way that I want to. And so we have these high values in our society. A person who is able to give me the freedom that I most desire and also perform for me and get everything done. He's going to have a high level of competency. And so what we do is that we create a king in our own image and we want it to serve us. It's one that fits our needs and we're tempted to, tempted to have him hate all the same people we hate. We, notice, we ought to notice that these kings that we have are really no kings at all. Notice how they treat other people. Notice, notice how you look down your nose at those who are uh, less theologically astute than you, those who are terrible parents. Uh, we have people calling uh, um, uh, the social services on parents because they brought their kids to the grocery store. That's the kind of world we live in. It's just no grace. It's based on performance. It's all moralism. And so we hold people to this. 
And so we, uh, as Anne Lamott said, you can be sure that you have made a God in your own image if he hates all the same people that you do. He hates all the same people that you do. And so our cultural expectations at this time, during the time of Matthew, when he's writing this, there was four different groups at the time. And so there was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group of people that were in charge largely of the synagogues, and their way of showing and getting God on their side was through law-keeping. And so any breaking of the law, or the Torah, was seen as those people are going to get their due. And so the way that they were going to leverage this king, this is back to the control part, we want to control him, is that this king would do for us what we want to do by our law-keeping. Then there was these Sadducees or the scribes that worked together. And so they were in the temple courts. They owned the temple. And so for them, worship in the temple was tantamount. As long as they kept worshiping in the temple, then God would uh, vindicate us in the long run and get rid of these dirty little Romans. Then... There were zealots, these people who would uh, sit out and try to waylay or destroy or defeat the Romans through physical force. And so their king was power. What they wanted was power. And then there was this group called the Essenes who escaped and were counterculturalists. They were against culture. And so they escaped from culture out into the wilderness. And then they were practicing uh, like monastery-like piety away from everybody in the culture. And so that was their king. And so notice that they would always say, oh, you hate these people, God. And you love us because we have, we have the law, we follow the law, we worship in the temple, we, have the, we, we are gaining power or through piety. And we do the same too. We do the same too. Verses 9 through 11 is kind of the height of this little uh, uh, narrative here. There's the declarations of, of that this is Hosanna, the, the you know, son of David. This is him. So they have all these, are filled with these expectations. They're cheering it out. Um, and then in verse 10, this whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Who is this? Is the question and they want to know. You see, Jesus isn't like Napoleon Dynamite saying, vote for me. I will make all your wildest dreams come true. You see, he is saving you from what you really, really He's saving you for what you really were created for. You know, they say they limit him to just being a prophet. A prophet's easy to control. He just kind of reveals what God has to say. But if he's like prophet, priest, and king, if he's king, you have to follow him. He becomes a control over you. So we all want this king that is, is controllable. You know, prophet, he can reveal, can't tell you what to do. You know, we, they could take the data in front of us, and then that's okay. You know, but if Jesus really is the king coming to rule for the people, then he has a, uh, if he's God himself, then he has a claim over your life. And that is scary. And that is scary. There's this apocryphal story of, about Peter. 
in Jesus. Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, as they're going along the road and by a river, and he says, uh, pick up stones and carry them and follow me. And so they follow him quite a ways, and after a few hours or so, they stop, and it was time for lunch. And they say, Master, we don't have anything to eat. And Jesus says, take out the stones. Peter, at that time, had picked up a stone that was kind of small and little, put it in his pocket so it wouldn't be burdened, right? And as he pulled it out, and now as the disciples pulled it out, the stones had turned to bread. It turned to bread. And so Peter had this like measly little things like, that's my lunch. Oh my gosh. And you know, everybody else had these nice little loaves, you know, like sourdough or something. But anyway, it's apocryphal story. That means it didn't really happen, okay? And so, so he, Peter's like, okay, I get it now. And then Jesus says, all right, time to go. Pick up a stone and follow me. Peter then, uh, they start picking up stones, and Peter identifies a boulder uh, just about half the size of Luke Berlin, who was just up here earlier, and he picks it up and starts carrying it on his back. And after a while, Jesus stops, and Peter's like, oh my gosh, he's going to turn it into bread. This is going to be awesome. He stops, and Jesus says, throw it in the river. And Peter's like, what? Throw it in the river? And then Jesus says, follow me. Peter throws it in the river and follows Jesus. But here's the thing about this story. A lot of us, a lot of us, a lot of our expectations is we want Jesus to do for us everything. You see, many of us are quite happy having a God or a king that we can control. See, Peter here is setting him up and saying, dude, is is set up as as being exposed. He's like, oh, you have a king, but it's not me. Jesus is saying, follow me. No, like really follow me. I am what you need. And so throughout the few days, our, our, our kings have been exposed. In a time of stress, whatever is in your heart will come out. It'll be exposed. Uh, as, or as Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The actions are from your heart, what is deep down. And this time of stress and anxiety exposes all of our little kings. And so how have you responded to others at this time during, at the grocery store? Uh, I have had more dirty looks and people looking at me as if I'm a Petri dish rather than a human at the grocery store. Okay, they think that I'm carrying the Rona, you know, and so like, watch out for that guy. He's definitely got it. Or do you smile at him? Have you been the person who, re- who returns people with, you give people with kind, you know, treat people with kindness and seeing them as human beings? Or do you treat them like trash? You know, or maybe your kids are stressing you out. You know, it's easy to yell at them. I've done it this week. You know, and it comes out, it comes out. And, but how are we being made more like Jesus? And everything is going to show our parenting, our marriages, everything is going to show it. It is exposed by, by, by the coronavirus. It exposes our masters. So ask yourself, where have you felt the most angry, the most anxious? And then how did I respond out of that? Because what that's going to do is display your king's 
Do you have Kings of Comfort? I almost said Kings of Convenience as if it was like a band or something like that. Uh, 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 yeah, Kings of Comfort, Kings of Security, uh, Kings of Kings of of of, um, of theological grandeur. What are they? And they're all being exposed. Jesus says, follow me. And so he comes in there and all of our expectations are exposed and they're especially exposed whenever he goes to the cross. You see, a lot of us don't mind having having a, a Jesus, Jesus as a as a um, as a personal assistant. You see, nowadays we have this Christian version of, of, of this idea of Jesus as king, but we still, we Christianize this, this, uh, our cultural expectations. We want Jesus to do for us what we want him to do. And so we say things like, you know, we quote verses like, Jesus says in Jeremiah 29, I have a plan for you, you know, plans for you to prosper. And they're like, so what they do is they follow Jesus in order to leverage him into doing what I want. Or you say, they say things, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Therefore, God's got to be able to give me what I want. And so there's no category for suffering. There's no category for what we're going through right now. And so God, they think that God is somehow, uh, they think of somehow that, that God is going to, to do for me as long as I do for him. They think it's a quid pro quo all the time with God. You know, I scratched his back, now he's got to scratch mine, and they think that's the way it works. And so things like, uh, they, they, they only see an antithesis. They only see that, like, oh, suffering, therefore I must not be following God. Or they see, see su- they can't possibly see that suffering and that this true king and having this king can come and they happen at the same time and they live in antithesis with each other and you live in paradox with it. And I know it's difficult to live that way. But Jesus is the king we need. We see that he is sovereign. He is God coming to be with his people. He is the presence of God being amongst them. And so he is the true ruler and he's orchestrating everything. And this is demonstrated in the fact that he shows up and he, somehow he knows that there is a donkey over there and a mom. And so they're going to bring the little donkey and the mom together. And he's going to ride on this little donkey into the city. Um, the mom's going to keep the little wild donkey uh, uh, calm. And so he's, he's able to know this. And more than that, he also said, he takes upon himself this self-designation, this divine designation. He calls himself Lord. He says, the Lord needs it. Tell them the Lord needs it. And then he will take, then they'll hand him over. You see, he's the orchestrator of all these events. Somehow this even, you know, uh, the coronavirus has not escaped his gaze. He knows it's going to happen. He's sovereign and he's also good. Uh, when our first child was born, I had to really reckon with this. Our, we, you know, we tried for months to have our first child and to get pregnant to start a family, and it was getting really sad. Then we went in for testing, and they were like, yeah, try a few more things. And then we ended up getting pregnant, and it was awesome. And then when we were in the first ultrasound, the, the uh, ultrasound tech got really silent, kind of fearful, was kind of distant, was taking all kinds of reg- measurements. And we found out that our first child was going to be born with something called an omphalocele, which is an indicator often of a greater uh, a genetic uh, an- anomaly, usually incompatible with life. 
And so we sat there, we're like, well, thank you, God. But then we had to really wrestle with what we thought in our theology. You know, at that time, we, I would say that I was like a reformed. Uh, if you have questions about what that means, it means that God is really just sovereign in control of salvation and of all things. And, but he, if he is really sovereign, what does this mean? How does this terrible thing happen? You know, he doesn't give us necessarily all the explanations, but he gives himself. And I ha- my wife and I had a great experience of who God was, and we experienced him as being good through all those trials. It was sad, and it was hurtful, and I cried a lot. God never gave me an answer for why this happened, but he gave himself. He's sovereign, and he is good. And only trusting in the sovereign God And a good God at the same time, even though we may not see it in our world, is what's going to be able to give us through the power to actually live this way. A false Christianity that says suffering and and God's presence are on two opposite ends is going to lead you to folly. You might as well just jettison that version of Christianity because that ain't Christianity. It is only through suffering that Jesus actually saves his people. Jesus suffered, how much more should we expect to suffer in this life too? See, it's, he's not foreign to it. And so he comes on this, he, he also, so he's sovereign, this, he's the king we need, so he's sovereign, he's in control of all things, but then he also meets our deepest needs, and that is peace. Notice that he enter, enters in on a peaceful animal, not a war horse. He enters in on a servant's donkey, not a warrior stallion. Jesus is truly the man after God's own heart, meaning he loves the things that God loves, and God loves his people, and his people live estranged from God and far from him. But he is the incarnate God who is in the flesh and he comes to dwell with his people at this time. The Son of God came not to be served, it says, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, we sit there and we probably wonder, God, why is this happening? Why am I locked away? Why have I lost my job? And those are honest, honest questions you can ask. You see, God will answer your, 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 your prayers and your cries given all the info. We don't have all the info. Somehow in Romans 8, it says that all these things somehow work for our good. But maybe our good or our vision of good doesn't necessarily match up with his vision of good. So we got to trust his kindness and his goodness and that he's actually doing for us what is best for us. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. You see, many times whenever my kids ask me something, I have to say no or I don't answer them the way they want to be answered because I know that there's something better for them. I know that there's something better for them. You see, whenever Peter was approached with the idea that Jesus was going to be crucified, Peter says, Lord, Far be it from you to be crucified. What in the world? No. Say it isn't so. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Somehow Jesus knew from the beginning. And we should know that through suffering comes the salvation. 
And in a weird way, I wonder if God's church will not be made stronger and better and somehow we need to know that God is working even in the midst of suffering. But will he give us the ultimate answer? I don't know. Probably not. Even if he did give us the ultimate answer, it'd probably blow our little brains, you know? Here's the thing. A lot of us, what is being exposed is that we have an illness, that we need some sort of surgery. Um, I hate going to the doctor. You want to know why? Because I hate to find out what's wrong with me, especially, especially giving my blood. Why? Because it comes back every time that I've been eating terribly and that I need to make changes. And then I have to suffer through eating like broccoli or something. You know, I like broccoli somewhat. But I have to eat more vegetables instead of chicken or, you know, like I love fried chicken. And so, I, you know, I want fried chicken in me. But I need to put vegetables in me. And so you have to go through this difficulty in order to become healthy. And so God, in a particular way, is showing us maybe through coronavirus, this is the way through health. And when Jesus shows up into the city, he exposes the expectations and he exposes all of our false kings. And he says, though, I'm the king you really need. It is through suffering that you will be made more like me. You see, Jesus is the only king out of all the kings that you serve. He is the only king that would die for you. All other kings make you die for it. Jesus is the only king who will sacrificially love you and give of himself in order that you become more like him. You see, he suffers for us and with us. When he shows up on the scene, he knows what's going to happen. He knows these people who are shouting his praises. He knows these people will turn his back on him and he'll die isolated and alone on the cross. He will suffer for them. He will suffer the suffering they deserved. He will get the isolation that they deserved. He will be made alone and taken outside of the city that they deserved. You see, Jesus Christ, he is our true prophet who doesn't just reveal the way of God, but he is the way of God. You see, he's our true priest who doesn't just make sacrifices for us, but sacrifices himself for us. You see, he is our true king that doesn't come and tell you serve me, but rather he serves you. That's who Jesus is. He is the true king worthy of all laud, praise, and honor. He is the king that you need. He's the king that you need. And in this week, he will show it in a million different ways. And you'll walk with him to the cross and show what you most desperately need and what you most, well, you, what you most desperately deserve. So you deserve to die. But he came to live the life you were supposed to live and die the death you were supposed to die. And he shows, and he's the king who subdues even sin and death so that it has no power over you anymore. That's our king. That's the king who shows up here on Palm Sunday. And in the end, when he comes back, we will wave palm branches because he's the true triumphant king who has defeated sin and death forever. And not even the coronavirus will stop that. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, you are with us. 
you come to inhabit this world and to be present with us. And Lord, I pray that you would expose our false kings of nationalism, our false kings of perfectionism, our false kings of moralism, our false kings of technology. They cannot give us what we need. For you, you are the king we need. Gracious, humble, bringing true peace, bringing us the peace that we need in our hearts, reconciling us to God the Father. You are the true representative of your people by demonstrating sacrificial love. Lord, I pray that this week we would demonstrate how you loved us through sacrificial love. Help us to give, give of our time, our talents, our resources. Help us to pick up the phones, to be with other people. Help us to be present with them in their suffering as you have been present with your people. Lord, you are the true king. And we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.